A new member of the British Parliament uh, took his eight-year-old daughter out on a tour of London uh, for the first time. And uh, they came to Westminster Abbey, which is a beautiful church. And the awesomeness of this, uh, this beautiful Gothic structure really struck this young girl. And she was sitting here looking at it and all of its, all of its magnificence. And her father was intrigued uh, you know, as he watched her concentration. And he looked down at his little daughter and he said, Sweetheart, what are, what are you thinking about? And she looked up and she said, Daddy, you know, I was thinking about how big you seem at home, but how small you seem here. And as with our young lady glimpsing Westminster Abbey for the first time, and many of the situations that we encounter in this life, seeing things in perspective is truly important in comprehending the big picture. And with the new year upon us, last year Pastor Matt gave the State of the Church Address. And as a follow-up to Pastor Matt's uh, address, today's message will be a State of Discipleship Address in the form of a big-picture perspective of discipleship at Rancho Baptist Church. And the central goal of our whole church is to glorify God. And the way that we accomplish that glorifying God is by making disciples. And as most of you know, this is our mission statement, and this is the central core of what guides all the activities that we do here at Rancho Baptist. And the objective this morning uh, of this talk is to convey a clear and comprehensive picture of discipleship and how each of our programs here at RBC fits into that picture. And secondly, we'll look at a couple of exciting new programs that we're going to be implementing starting this year and how they fit into the big picture. And we'll look at discipleship through three different lenses this morning. First, we'll look at the discipleship picture. And then we'll look at the discipleship process. And then we'll look at the RBC discipleship program. And you can see those on the message outline, which you have in your bulletin there. Now first, let's look at the discipleship picture that is painted in Scripture. And in laying out this picture, it's important to start with a clear view of the end product of discipleship and then work backwards from that particular point. And in any endeavor, it's very important to know where it is that you're going. Because a clear view of what you, where you're going is important or frequently you'll never arrive there. And it kind of reminds me of the airline pilot who got on the uh, airline intercom system and, and said, he said to his passengers, he said, Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Captain Jones, and I hope you're enjoying your flight today. This morning I have some good news, and I have some bad news. The good news is that we have a strong tailwind today, and that as a result... We are making excellent time. Our current airspeed is an amazing 625 miles per hour. Now for the bad news. The flight navigation equipment just broke, and I have no idea where we're going. Well, kind of like our pilot friend, um, kind of like our pilot friend, as Christians, we know exactly where we're going to end up. And someday, all of us who belong to Christ 
will pass out of this life and into our eternal home in heaven. And this is our destination. This is our goal. That's heaven. Now, the scriptures don't give us a complete picture of what it will be like in heaven, but they do give us a number of important clues what it's going to look like. In 1 John 3, verse 2, it tells us, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as to what we shall be. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And you see, someday we will step out of this life into heaven, and we will see Jesus face to face in all of His majesty, in all of His glory. And when we see Him, we will instantly be transformed into His beautiful image. And we will be morally perfected, just like He is perfected. And Jude chapter 1, verse 24, gives us this clue about uh, another thing that will happen in heaven. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. You see, one of the overwhelming characteristics of heaven will be joy. But it won't be just joy. It will be an overflowing joy. It will be an overwhelming joy. It will be joy like nothing that we've ever experienced. In fact, C.S. Lewis made this comment. He said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. And that great hymn of the faith that we sang this morning, How Great Thou Art, if you remember, it puts it this way. It says, And when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy will fill my heart. And then I shall bow in humble adoration and there declare, My God, how great thou art. And the joy of that first glimpse of the Savior will continue on throughout eternity. Do you long for that day? I sure do. And may it come soon. And Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, gives us another clue as to what it will be like in heaven. It says, And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in, and his bondservants shall serve him day and night. And notice what John tells us at the end of this verse. He says, we will be his loving bondservant, and we will be serving the Lord. Now this word serve has the idea of worship implicit. And our service to the Lord will take the form of loving worship in his presence. And it won't be anything like worship down here. Nothing like it. Do you ever find yourself on a Sunday morning, you get up, you drag yourself out of bed, and it's like, oh yeah, time to go to worship. And you get up, and it's like that. Well, I think we all get that sometimes here on earth. But see, in His presence, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be totally different. Our greatest joy, our constant desire, and our biggest delight will be, serve him, will be to serve Him in the form of worship. So putting this picture all together, when we step out of life, this life, into heaven, we will be in Christ's presence and we will be instantly made like Christ. And we will be full of love and joy and peace 
and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And our joy will be unimaginable. And we'll be worshiping Him for all eternity. And the ultimate picture of discipleship is to be transformed into that state that we just talked about in this life. In this life. And oh, that our relationship with the Lord would become so intimate that we would be transformed into His very image. And that we would be filled with unspeakable joy and that we would be constantly worshiping Him in our hearts in this life. In this life. And oh, that our transition from eternity, from this life into eternity, would simply be a change of venue with no change of activity. Oh, that that would be what would happen in our lives. And see, the end product of discipleship is Christ-likeness on earth. Christ-likeness on earth. This is what we need to clearly keep in view. So let me ask you all a question. I'm going to make you think here this morning. If we arrived at a state of being like Christ in this lifetime, can you think of some other things that would characterize our lives? What are some other things that would characterize our lives? Stump the stars. Understanding Understanding in what sense? We'd be more compassionate. So our relationships would be transformed. Good. Any other things you can think of? We'd be more forgiving. Yes. Again, relationships. Anything else? Transparent with one another. Yes. Our, our lives will be devoted to prayer. The conversation with the Lord. Matt. We would have great spiritual power. We'd be like the Lord Himself. Great joy. Great joy. Unspeakable joy. If you forgot your keys, you could just walk through the wall. Well, that'd be interesting, but you're, you're absolutely right. And we would manifest, as, as many of you talked about, the fruit of the Spirit, and as we talked about before. And love would dominate everything in our lives. It would be a love for the Lord, a love for one another, like we just talked about. But also a love for the world. A love for those outside of the body. And we would simply long to just draw near to Him and stay near to Him all day long. And interestingly, possessions would not mean that much to us, would they? They would just kind of let go of us. And it would be much like Peter said, that we would live as aliens and strangers in this lifetime. That's what it would be like. Now, with a clear picture of what the end product of discipleship looks like, now, let's work backwards from there. At the beginning of the process, we started out as non-believers. And we all remember what that was like. The Apostle Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. You might remember that. We were dead in sin. We were hostile towards God. We wanted nothing to do with God. And we lived like kind of the 
Well, if it feels good, do it. That's how we kind of lived. And then the Lord saved us by His grace through faith in the death of cross, death of the Christ on the cross for us. And at this point, we became baby Christians, babes in Christ. And that was a term that Paul coined in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. So in summary, the picture of discipleship is this whole gamut of becoming a baby Christian and progressing on to Christ's likeness. And the key picture to keep in mind is that image of being transformed to the point of where stepping from this life into eternity is just a change of location without a change of activity. That's where the Lord wants to take us. And if you keep this in view, you're going to get there. That's where you want to head. And now that we've discussed the discipleship picture, let's look at the discipleship process that transforms us into that discipleship picture. And a few months back, we looked at the discipleship process that Jesus laid out to his disciples. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Luke tells us, And Jesus was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And let's briefly touch on these three steps that Jesus set forth. First, Jesus indicates that we must deny ourselves. And this self-denial means that we must emphatically say no to ourselves. It means that we must say no to our fleshly desires, which are contrary to God's will. And as we mature in Christ and move toward Christ's likeness, we will progressively say no to more and more of the things of this world. But I believe this emphatic no is a point in time when we decide to climb out of the driver's seat of our lives and to allow the Holy Spirit to, to be the king and be in control. And it's to make a commitment to seek after Christ with our whole heart. It's to drive a stake into the ground, bang, and to say, Lord, I'm tired of living for my own self, and I want you to live in your glory in my life. Right now, right here and right now, I'm saying no to my old fleshly desires. And I'm yielding the control of my life right here and right now to the Holy Spirit and trusting Him to progressively change me into that beautiful image of your likeness. Do we instantly gain victory over every struggle in our life? No, we don't. No, we don't. But we are making a conscious decision to cease living for ourselves and to allow the Holy Spirit to be king in our lives. And the second step in the process that Jesus describes is that we must take up our cross daily. Now, in the culture of that time, if you were carrying a cross, then something was going to die on it. Now, what was it that was going to die on that cross? You! That's exactly it. You were carrying a cross, you were going to die on it. And Jesus used that metaphor very, uh, very carefully chosen. 
And moving forward in the discipleship process requires that we must daily put the Lord in the driver's seat of our lives. We must give Him permission, and in fact, we must invite Him each day to come in and put more and more of the old part, the old remains of our flesh to put those to death. And yes, it frequently hurts. It hurts as those things are put to death. But as you look forward to the prize to be attained, intimacy with Christ and Christ's likeness, we will willingly make that choice to endure the pain. Now the third step in the process that Jesus describes is that we must follow Him. And the Greek word follow literally means to be on the same road. It means to accompany. But this word really has two potential meanings to it. And I want to show you those those two potential meanings. And I'm going to recruit Tom here. The first potential meaning of the word follow me is this. It means to follow behind. Thank you. It means to follow behind. But the other potential meaning of this word is this. It means follow me like this. To enjoy fellowship with one another. To walk beside. Thank you, Tom. And to discuss those two meanings. And when you look at the relationship, the personal loving relationship that our Savior had with his disciples, I believe it's very clear that what he meant by follow me is he meant the side by side follow me of close relationship. You see, follow me is all about an intimate relationship with Christ. It means to walk beside him. It means to spend time with him. It means to hold an ongoing conversation with Him all day long. And the verb tense here indicates that the relationship is an ongoing action. You see, it starts in the morning and then continues on all day long until you go to bed and you get up again the following morning and it starts all over again. You see, that's what follow me means. It's all about relationship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This is the process that Jesus describes, which transforms us into the discipleship picture. Okay? Now, with both the picture and the process of discipleship in mind, let's now look at the RBC Discipleship Program. And in particular, I want to consider how each of our programs here at RBC fit with the picture and the process. Now, let me ask you a question, and again, I'm going to make you think. With a baby Christian, how, a baby or a young or younger Christian, how can we help them to deny themselves and take up their crosses daily? What do you think? What can we do? Pray for them. them. Yes. Prayer has to undergird everything we do. What else? Give them an example to follow. follow. Good. Spend time with them. Spend time with them. Yes. Any other things we can do? Teach them their Bible. Amen. That's the biggest thing that we can do is teach them the Word of God. Anything else you can think of? Good, good stuff. 
And really, Dale, you hit, you hit it right on the head right there, that first and foremost, we have to teach them the Word of God. You see, as younger Christians, they, they probably don't even know what they need to deny. They don't even know. So they need biblical basics. They need biblical doctrine. They need to know the biblical do's and don'ts. It's a lot like raising kids. When they're young, do you teach them how to love you? Well, it'd be nice, but you have to teach them the do's and the don'ts first. That's what you have to do. But younger Christians do also need to know what God is like so that it's safe to deny themselves and take up their crosses. They need to know that. You see, from the beginning of time, one of Satan's prime tactics is to get people to doubt the goodness of God. I mean, how would you feel about surrendering the control of your life to a God who is downright mean? How would you feel about that? I mean, Lord God, I so much desire to give my life to you, and I surrender my life, Lord. I'm denying myself, taking up my cross, and following you. Oh, yeah, you are, huh? Oh, I finally got you. Well, pack your bags, dude, because you're going to be a discipleship pastor to heathens in, in the Antarctica. Well, see, Satan tries to get us to view God in this type of a manner, that he's mean. But our God is not like that. He's good. He is good. And he loves us dearly. And we need to teach all Christians a biblical understanding of who he is, of God is, and what he is like. Otherwise, they'll be hesitant to surrender to the Lord. And at Rancho Baptist Church, we currently have a large number of programs and ministries to teach God, God's word, and they're vital to assisting Christians to deny themselves and take up their crosses. And these include worship and instruction uh, through the preaching, the outreach and evangelism ministry, Sunday school classes for children through adults, Awanas, which teaches the scripture, home fellowship groups where we concentrate on the scriptures, group Bible studies of various types, individual counseling, retreats, and a number of other ministries. All these things, teaching the Word of God. But let me make it very clear that these programs do also help folks to follow Christ. Okay? Virtually none of our programs here are exclusively oriented to folks at one stage in their development of their walk. They just aren't. In fact, there's instruction in all of our programs that I just mentioned there about what it means to know Christ intimately, every single one of them. And in 2005, we'll be adding a couple of new programs oriented primarily at helping people to deny themselves and take up their crosses daily. And the first program will be the first part of a multi-part mentoring program. And starting in February, we'll be offering a curriculum and a training class for those who desire to mentor younger Christians in their faith. And after going through this class, you will have both the tools as well as the curriculum to begin to help younger Christians and mentor them in helping them grow. And see, Jesus discipled men in mentoring relationships just as the Apostle Paul did. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this, he's, or I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is to Timothy from Paul. He says, In the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
Timothy, his chief disciple. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you see, people need to hear the scripture proclaimed and taught from the pulpit. But they also need to work on living it with the guidance and the encouragement of a mentoring type relationship. And this is how people really grow in their faith. Most of you can think back on people that really helped you to apply and learn the scripture in your lives. And to that end, Pastor Matt and I, and as well as the rest of the leadership, are praying that the Lord would raise up 25 men and women in 2005 with the heart and the training to begin mentoring other people within our congregation. And this mentoring process will become even more critical later on as we start to bring younger Christians into our midst and new Christians that desperately need this kind of mentoring relationship. And the second program that we will be adding in uh, 2005 is a neighborhood outreach program that will meet both the physical and spiritual needs of people in the neighborhoods right where we live. And Pastor Matt will be giving a comprehensive overview of this program on his Missions Emphasis Sunday sermon on February the 13th. But I got to tell you, I am really excited about this. I think this is going to be one of the biggest pieces of what's going to be happening in our church in 2005. You see, because this will give all of us, every single one of us, a simple, non-threatening way to minister the love of Christ right where we live in our neighborhoods. And this is exciting stuff. And I hope that you'll be in prayer in anticipation of seeing what the Lord is going to do through this. And it will be all rolled out starting in February. Now I want to ask you one more question that may be a little tougher to answer. We've talked about how to help folks deny themselves and take up their crosses daily. How can we help folks to follow me? How can we help them do that? Doing it yourself, being a model, modeling it. Got anything else? I'm going to call on Dale. Teaching the scripture is definitely something we need to do. Anything else you can think of? How can we help them to follow me? Find out what their needs are. Find out what their needs? Help them, yes? Get to know them. Get to know them. Relationship again. Spend time together. Spend time together. Good. You see, this is not that easy to really quantify what, you know, how, how you do that. And the key, one of the key things continues to be, you've still got to teach the Word of God. The Word of God has to undergird every single thing that we do here at Rancho Baptist Church. And that never stops. That never stops. But with a little different emphasis. You see, the Scriptures are full of, with men and women who developed an intimate, loving relationship with the Lord. And we can learn much from these folks about what it means to develop that follow-me type relationship with the Lord. And this relationship is not primarily a body of biblical knowledge. Although the biblical knowledge has to be there 
as a foundation. Like any other relationship, it's more about spending time with the one whom you're seeking to get to know. It involves developing a relationship with the Lord. It's all about developing a constant, loving, two-way communication between us and God. Now, for those of you who are married, think about how your relationship developed with your spouse before you were married. As you spent time together and you communicated and you talked, and you became to appreciate and know and love that person who became your partner. Well, the follow me relationship is developed with the Lord in much the same manner. And after all, you can come to know a lot about a person without actually having developing a relationship with them. Think about Satan. He knows a lot about God. But what about the relationship? Nothing. No relationship there at all. And developing an intimate relationship with the Lord is not about doing ministry. It isn't. But doing ministry is the outflow of what happens as a result of the relationship. You see, when you know the Lord and you love Him, that you can't help but serve Him. You can't help but share your faith. You can't help but minister the love of Christ to the people within the body here. And obedience changes from a duty to a delight, to the joy of your life, to love and obey the Lord. That's what it becomes. And thus we have found that the follow me relationship is best developed in the context of small groups. That's where it's best developed. And in these groups, various Christian disciplines are taught and practiced all with the goal of giving a person the tools necessary to develop that follow-me type relationship with God. And at Rancho Baptist, we have employed thus far growth groups as the main tool in small group mentoring to help accomplish these ends. But these groups, again, are not exclusively oriented to the follow-me type thing, but that is, has been their primary emphasis. Now, later on in 2005... We will be expanding that multi-part mentoring program that I talked about, and it will include a more advanced level of mentoring. And this mentoring will be focused on developing that intimate relationship with Christ, more of the follow-me aspect of discipleship rather than the other. So, brethren, what should we do? What should we do about this? How should we apply it? First, keep the end in focus. This is on the back of your outline there. The desired end of discipleship is that we would be prepared for eternity, an eternity of loving, enjoying, worshiping, and serving the Lord. You see, God's goal, again, is to bring us as close as possible to our heavenly state while we're here on this earth. And all discipleship needs to be pointed in that direction. And when we keep this goal in focus, that's how we're going to get there. Keep the end in focus. Secondly, pray for the RBC discipleship program process. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We need our Lord's programs, not man's programs. 
And as Pastor Matt talked about last week, God will lead us specifically to what He wants us to do if we will take the time to patiently wait on Him. He will do that. And this definitely involves loving communication with Him through prayer on everyone's part. Not just leadership. Everyone. Everyone. And if we intend to be making disciples, then discipleship needs to be included in our prayer life. It's got to be there. And third, this week, I want to challenge you to study and meditate on Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Ask yourself, where am I at in this process? And ask yourself, what new steps do I need to take in 2005? Maybe you need to get involved in a mentoring relationship with a younger Christian and be challenged to learn these skills. And I think many of you need to consider this. Maybe as you talk to the Lord, you need to be mentored by somebody that's more mature in their faith. Or maybe you need to climb out of the driver's seat of your life and let the Lord drive instead of you. Maybe that's what you need to do. In closing, I want to consider the words of a man who had truly denied himself and taken up his cross and was following Christ. He was about five years from the end of his life. And he was writing from prison and he had suffered immensely for his faith. And yet the Apostle Paul said this about his life. He said this. He said, to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Oh, that this would become the cry of our hearts here at Rancho Baptist. Let's pray. Lord, ignite, ignite a passion in our hearts for nothing less than Jesus. Cause us to hunger and thirst for his presence and for his nearness and for his word. And teach us to wait patiently for him until we are transformed into his beautiful, beautiful image. Lord, We want to be that kind of disciple and be about helping others to become that kind of disciple. And we ask that you would bring this about. You bring this end about for the sake of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.